0: Good morning Sovereign Grace. It's good to see all of you here on this 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. I hope that you're taking some part of the day today to thank the Lord that in his good providence he's not only given us the liberties that we enjoy but also that he's blessed us with a government that for most of its history has protected those liberties. We don't get those liberties from the government. We get them from God. And the government's role is to protect those and uphold those And so I hope you take time today thanking the Lord for living in the country that you do and a country that protects those liberties, one of which we're exercising this morning. And so hopefully we do that, thankfully, to our God. For those of you that may not know me, my name's Jason. It's my great privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace. If you're a first-time visitor with us this morning, welcome. We're thankful that God has brought you here to worship with us. Having said that, I'd like to draw your attention now to the word of the Lord as we find it in the 119th Psalm. We're just basking in this glorious Psalm, stanza by stanza. Each stanza represents a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and we're in the 13th stanza this morning, the Mame stanza. And the great theme of Psalm 119 is the glories of God's word because they reflect the glorious character of God himself. And the people of God, as they receive that word, love it and rejoice in it and commune with him through it. And so this entire psalm is rejoicing in that reality. So let me read for you then Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, reminding you as ever that this is the word of the living God. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules For you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we humbly acknowledge together that you give wisdom, that from your mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so we ask that you would cause us to receive your words and to treasure up your commandments. That by your spirit, you would make our ears attentive to wisdom and incline our hearts to understanding your word. Lord, we call out for insight and we raise our voice for understanding. By your grace, cause us to seek it like silver and to search for it as for hidden treasures. For then we will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the most confusing aspects of the early days of the COVID pandemic was knowing who to listen to and what to do. I can tell by the look on some of your faces, you don't even wanna think about these days. But if you recall, it was so difficult because the experts were constantly changing their minds and contradicting one another. And the advice that they were giving was always shifting. Now, in fairness to them, they were trying to figure things out. Best case scenario, some of them potentially may have been intentionally trying to misguide us. But as someone that was trying to figure out how to live wisely through a global pandemic, as I'm sure many of you were, it was a very confusing time. How do we live wisely through this? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves because what is wisdom? Wisdom is having a right understanding of reality and then conforming your will to that reality so that you live rightly. That's what wisdom is, knowing the truth and living in light of the truth. And that's what we were trying to do through the pandemic. And the reason I bring this up is because that's not just a question that we have to ask in a global pandemic. It's a question that we have to ask every day of our lives. How do I live a wise life? How do I live wisely in my day-to-day interactions with God and with those around me? And by what standard do I know if I actually am living wisely? That's a question that every human being has to answer. And the cultures no help in providing an answer, are they? Because what does our culture believe? There is no reality, or there is no truth, or if there is truth we can't know it. And so what is reality? Well, the only thing that you can really know is your own desires. So know your desires and then act on those desires. That's all the world has got to offer you by way of how to live wisely. That's it. You do you. Follow your heart. That's the wisdom that the world has to offer for how you're supposed to live your life. And the devastation that that approach to wisdom is leaving in its wake culturally is just massive. And we see it, don't we? But this is why I'm so thankful for God's word. This is why I'm so thankful for this stanza in Psalm 119, because it shows us with absolute clarity how to live a wise life, how to live wisely. It's always done that for God's people. And we're going to see that by understanding three realities that this psalm teaches us. Three realities, three truths that we must know in order to live a wise life. First of all, we need to understand, most importantly, that God is wisdom. We can speak about God having wisdom, and there's a sense in which that's appropriate. But to be even more accurate, we need to say God is wisdom itself. And so anyone who participates in God's wisdom to whatever degree can be called wise themselves. But first of all, we need to understand God is wisdom. Second of all, we're going to see that God gives wisdom, which must be the case. If anybody else is going to be wise, God must give that wisdom to them. And we're very thankful for that because in Adam we'll see we are foolish, (laughs) And we are in desperate need of wisdom. And so we'll see the two ways that God gives us wisdom. And then thirdly, we'll see that while it may be enough to make our hearts rejoice in seeing that God gives wisdom, we'll see thirdly that to top it all off, God actually rewards wisdom. The wisdom itself is a gift. And then he crowns that gift with another gift by rewarding wisdom. And we'll see how that shows up in our lives. And here's the thing. You've noticed that I didn't give you the various verses that correspond to the three points. And that's because, once again, the outline would just be all over the place. These truths are shot through this entire stanza. And so we're gonna hit all the verses, don't worry, but I'm not gonna give them to you up front because it would just be confusing. And here's my hope and prayer. My hope and prayer is that as we rightly understand this stanza, these eight verses, that God by his spirit would cause us by his grace to walk more and more wisely the rest of our days to the praise of his glory and for our good. So let's look first then at how God is wisdom, how we need to understand that in order to live a wise life. Look at verse 97 with me. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David cannot contain himself as he's been meditating on the realities of God's word. And so he just shouts out, Lord, I love your law. And because I love it, David says, I meditate on it. And because I meditate on it, guess what? I love it more, Lord. And so then guess what? I meditate on it, and I love it more, and so I meditate. And there's this cycle that's happening. Now you wonder, well, why do you go to verse 97 to make the point that God is wisdom? Well, I hope it's readily apparent that the reason that this verse makes that clear is because what do we behold in God's law? What do we behold in God's self-revelation through scripture? We behold his character. Yes, we see God's character through creation, but there are things about God's character we can't know from creation or we don't know as well just from creation without the revelation of scripture. And so, yes, we can see that God is wise from creation. But what the the scriptures pronounce to us is that God is wisdom itself. And so why does David love God's law? Because in it he beholds God's character. And that which you love, you meditate upon. And so David says, Lord, I want to know you more because I love you. I love your character. I love that you are wisdom itself. And so thus I meditate on your Torah, on your law, your self-revelation, that you are wisdom itself. Now, we know this from other places in Scripture, that God is wisdom itself. You don't have to turn there, but let me read for you Romans chapter 16 and verse 27. Paul's coming to the end of his glorious letter to the Romans, and he ends with this benediction that I'll end the service with today. And at the tail end of the benediction, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? He's saying the same thing that David understands. That God, yes, he is wise, but all that is in God, we know, is God, and so if God is wise, then God is wisdom, and so David is saying, God, you alone are divinely wise because you alone are God. I may be humanly wise insofar as I participate in your wisdom, but Lord, you alone are divinely wise, and what does that divine wisdom mean? It means that you are wisdom itself, and so what we're talking about here is the fact that God doesn't learn things You and I, as finite human beings, he's created us to learn, to learn from him through his creation, through his word. God doesn't learn. In an eternal act, he knows all that was and all that is and all that is to come. He knows the past, the present, the future. He knows all things. This is what we mean, what the theologians mean when they say God is omniscient, God is all-knowing. For all eternity, we will be learning more about God and his creation But God knows all things, and he alone knows all things. And so David is rejoicing in this reality that God is wisdom itself. But here's the thing. As fallen human beings, the reality that God is wisdom is not good news. Do you know why it's not good news? It's because we're foolish. And do you know why we're foolish? Because sin is necessarily foolish. And we're all sinners. And you know why we're all sinners? Not because God created us that way. If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, God creates us in his image to be wise according to our nature, to receive wisdom from God. But see, he created us wise finitely. In other words, we could change. And so what happens as we're in that state of wisdom, as you will, the serpent comes, Satan comes, and says, God's lying. God's standard of wisdom is not right. Mine is. He's withholding something good from you. So eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam did, and that was foolish. And now we are with him, plunged into foolishness, as the guilt of that first sin is imputed to us. And we ourselves are sinful. And again, if sin is any violation of God's law, and God's law reflects the way that he created us to live, and the way that we are to exist on this earth, then sin is necessarily foolishness. And brothers and sisters, we're given to it. We're given over to foolishness. And what I mean by that is not that we can't do good things to a certain extent in a certain sense. Unbelievers can obey God's law from the outward appearance. Oh, well, he's an honest person. He tells the truth. Yeah, but is he telling the truth for the glory of God? Is that telling the truth Motivated by grace through faith to the glory of God, to the praise of Jesus Christ? No. So then in a very real sense, it's, it's not good at all. And so here's the reality. We're plunged into foolishness. We're slaves of foolishness. And so while we may even know reality in certain regards, we don't have the will to conform and live in light of that reality as we ought to, to the praise and glory and honor of God. And so the knowledge that we have from creation, or even in our fallen state that we can get from scripture, is damning and nothing more. And so this is our plight in Adam, in our fallen state plunged into foolishness cut off from God an object of his wrath for our sinful rebellion against him and so while it it, as Christians it's glorious to contemplate that God is wisdom we understand that for fallen man that is not a glorious reality and at one point in our lives when we were unbelievers when that wasn't a glorious reality for us but God is wisdom And that's only bad news if the second truth doesn't come to play very quickly. (laughs) God is wisdom, but we're cut off from him in our foolishness. But, second point, God graciously gives wisdom. God gives wisdom. And he does that. We could talk about more than two ways that God gives wisdom, but we only have time for two ways this morning. So we're going to look at two ways that God gives wisdom. First of all, God gives wisdom to us in his promised Messiah, in Jesus We know right after the fall, right after God starts pronouncing the curses, in the curses in Genesis 3 is this promise that a seed of the woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent and he would be wisdom. He would be wise. He would save us from our sins. And David knew that. And David, by grace through faith, was looking to the coming of the Messiah. And he was saved based on the meritorious death and life of the Messiah accounted to him even before the Messiah had come. And so David knows this. He's saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the coming Messiah alone. And brothers and sisters, we know this as well, but we know this with greater clarity in the new covenant, don't we? We know that from places like 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, "'For consider your calling, brothers,' Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human might boast in the presence of God. Now listen to this. And because of him, because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, listen. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this was our state. Foolish, cut off from God. And in his love and grace and mercy, he sends the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, to assume a human nature, body and soul. And what does he do? He lives the perfectly wise life that we failed to. In our place, perfect conformity to God's law. Never once did Jesus sin. Never once did he turn from the wise path to the foolish path. And because he did that, we're now counted as perfectly wise in him for his sake. When the father looks at us, he sees the son's perfect track record of living wisely and treats us that way. And the penalty that we deserved for our foolish sin, he paid that in full on the cross. Our foolish sins and the penalty of them were imputed to him on the cross and he became the curse and now there's no curse left for us anymore. This is the good news of Jesus becoming God's wisdom for us so that we're restored to God, we now have access to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who is wisdom itself and communion with him. And because God has given us wisdom in Jesus, that communion continues in God then giving us wisdom. Secondly, God doesn't just give us wisdom in Jesus. He also gives us wisdom now ongoingly through his word and by his spirit. And we can see this with absolute clarity in this text, that God gives us wisdom through his word and by his spirit. Look at verse 102 with me. Note who it is that is teaching David. I do not turn aside from your rules. Why? For you have taught me. Who's teaching him? God himself We'll talk about this in a little bit. God may use the means of human teachers. But at the end of the day, if God doesn't take that teaching, which should conform with his word, and make it effective, it won't be effective. So God is our teacher. And which person of the Trinity is primarily the one who teaches through the word? It's the third person of the Trinity, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit who teaches through the word. And we can see that the Holy Spirit teaches through the word normally through God's law normally, and he doesn't come and whisper it in our ears normally or write it in the sky or possess our hands so that we write out God's will on a piece of paper. God can do whatever he wants. He can work that way if he wants to. But normally, that's not what he does. He teaches us through his word. And we see this all throughout this stanza. Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So how is the Lord Teaching, How is the Spirit teaching David? Through God's law as David is meditating on it, as he's meditating on the law that he loves because God has given him that love. We see this again in verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why, for your testimonies are my meditation. It's as he's meditating on God's testimonies that the Spirit teaches David. Again, look at verse 103. How sweet, David says, are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What's he saying? He's saying as he feasts on God's word, now that he has this spiritual appetite for it, the spirit works through that word and grants to David wisdom. Last proof here, verse 104. David says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It's through God's precepts, his word, his law, as David is meditating on them, that the spirit teaches him. And there's so much cultural confusion about this. That's why I'm driving home this point. I want you to see it from the text. And I don't want you to believe the lies of the culture that we should pursue God through other means that he doesn't normally use. Let God use him how he wants, but pursue him the way he's commanded you to pursue him through his word. And what is God teaching David through his word and by his spirit Look at verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Your word is forever mine. It's a possession. You've given it to me, and I cherish it above all things. And through it, you are teaching me wisdom. So God teaches us through his word and by his spirit. That's how he gives us wisdom. And here's the thing. That wisdom, necessarily, is going to show up in practical ways in our lives. Because if it doesn't, then it's not actually wisdom. Because what is wisdom? It's rightly understanding the truth and then living in light of that truth. And so David says, it shows up practically in my life and it's gonna show up practically in our lives as well, brothers and sisters. And there's four ways he says that this wisdom that God has given me shows up practically in my life. We'll go through them rather quickly. First of all, the first of the four ways that this wisdom shows up in his life is that he's being sanctified. He's being sanctified. Look at verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. He's saying I'm being sanctified. And he mentions the two sides of the coin that is sanctification. The one side of the coin is what? Here's a big theological word for you. Mortification. What is mortification? Putting to death the old man and his deeds who died on the cross with Jesus. The old ways want to reassert themselves. Uh, The flesh, the world, and the devil want to tempt us. And so we mortify, we put to death, we starve the old man and his ways. That's what David says when he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way. The other side of the coin of sanctification is, here's another big theological term, vivification. Vivification is nurturing life in that which Jesus has brought to life. We're now a new creation in Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. And the Spirit empowers us through the means of grace, through fellowship, through hearing the word taught, through meditation. The Spirit uses those things to sanctify us and purify us. And so David says, Lord, I'm pursuing that. And this is a result of the wisdom that God has given him. And brothers and sisters, this will be true in our lives as well. As God gives us wisdom, we will be sanctified, we will be mortified, we will be vivified. Second of all, David says that this wisdom shows up practically in his life in that he perseveres in the faith. Look at verse 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord, when you saved me, you put me on this wise path. This path of wisdom and walking in covenant faithfulness with you. And Lord, I have not abandoned that path. I may have veered off of it at times and you brought me to repentance and I hated it. Not the repentance, I loved that. I hated the sin and turned away from it and turned back to your path and walked in accord with it. I haven't made shipwreck of faith like I've seen many do. I've not apostatized. I've not left the faith. And why is he persevering? Because the Lord is preserving him. This is an evidence of the fact that God has given him wisdom and that this wisdom is true. And the Lord will cause us to persevere as well, brothers and sisters. He will preserve us by the power of his word through our faith, and we will persevere. Thirdly, third way that this wisdom shows up practically in David's life is that God's word is sweet to him. Look at verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What is David saying? He's saying, Lord, you've given me a spiritual appetite, an appetite for your word. Honey was a rare thing back then. Sugar wasn't in everything like it is today. And so when you got sugar, you were like, oh, this is so great. And so David's saying, I'm addicted to your word like people get addicted to sugar, get addicted to honey. It's sweeter to my taste. It's more satisfying for my hunger and thirst after righteousness than anything that this world has to offer. And so this is an evidence, again, of the wisdom that God has given David. And brothers and sisters, it'll be an evidence in our lives as well that we will love God's word. We will feast on it. It'll be the greatest treat that we know, the greatest delight that we know in this life and on into eternity. Fourthly, lastly, the last evidence that God has given wisdom to David is that he hates sin. Look at verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, comprehensively, I hate every false way. He hates his sin. He hates his sin. He hates other people's sin. As he watches people die, he hates the fact that sin entered into the world and brought all of this about. As he beholds all the ways that the world has been damaged by sin, marred by sin, he says, I hate it. I hate how it tries to rob you of your glory, Lord, most importantly. And this is an evidence. Again, this is the fruit of God giving him godly wisdom. And brothers and sisters, it's the fruit that will be in our lives As a result of God through his word and by his spirit giving us wisdom, we will hate sin. And I just want to pause here by way of application and encourage you to reflect on the incredible reality that God gives us wisdom. Brothers and sisters, where would we be if the God who is wisdom itself had not condescended to graciously reveal and grant wisdom to us in his son? who lived the perfectly wise life, died for our foolish sins on the cross, rose from the dead and sent the spirit and gave his word so that we can now grow in wisdom all the days of our lives. Where would we be? And so if ever a response of gratitude and thankfulness was appropriate to someone in your life, there is no one greater than your creator who not only gave you life, but spiritual life in his son and by his spirit and revives you every day by his word. So we should just be on our faces, amazed at his grace, amazed at his provision of wisdom and wanting to live this way out of gratitude and thankfulness. And here's the thing, we could end it right there and be just blown away by God's grace, but as the Lord always does, he kicks it up a notch. And he doesn't just say, I am wisdom and I give wisdom. He says, guess what? I reward wisdom. That's the third point. God rewards wisdom, which should just leave us flabbergasted. Because think about this, what did we just say about wisdom? We don't have it naturally in and of ourselves ever since the fall. It's the gift of God. So he gives this wisdom as a gift, then he says, you know what, and then I even crown that grace with a reward, with rewards. So what are we seeing? It's just gifting upon gifting, it's just grace upon grace that God gives us, and we're just to see this and say, behold, the love of our Father, It's out of this world. It's otherworldly, is what John says in 1 John. And so we should just be blown away by this. But David points out three rewards that God gives him for being wise. Three rewards that he gets. Let's look at each of these in turn. First of all, he says he's wiser than his enemies. Look at verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. What is David saying? He's saying, listen, Lord, your commandment is ever with me. Forever it is mine. Forever it is a part of me because it's in my mind, it's in my heart, and I'm living in light of it. And so how does the Lord reward that wisdom? He makes him wiser than his enemies. Now, if you know your Old Testament, that should cause you to think of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Write that down. And look it up later so that you can make sure what I'm telling you is the truth. I'm not going to read it to you now for the sake of time. But in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 and 6, the context is that Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land because of his sin. And so he's passing off the baton to Joshua as the Israelites are heading into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is really this sermon that Moses is giving to them. And at the very beginning of that sermon, he says, keep this law that I'm giving you. Keep it, guard it, and obey it because it is your wisdom and it is your understanding. And then he goes on to say something fascinating. He says, because when you go into the promised land and these enemy nations see the way you live and they come to understand your law and the fact that you walk in accord with it, you know what they're gonna say? They're gonna say they are wiser and more understanding than we are. That's what the enemy nations are gonna say. So do you see what David is saying here? He's saying, Lord, you've brought this about in me as one of your people and in your nation, and now you're keeping your covenant promise that the nations are acknowledging they're wiser than we are. Why? Because they're wiser naturally in and of themselves? No, but because of God's law and the wisdom that God imparts to them through that law by his spirit. And so David's saying, I'm wiser than my enemies. And brothers and sisters, the Lord still does that today. Because at the end of the day, our enemies may outsmart us, and they may even take away our lives if they so choose to do, if that's how the Lord sovereignly has it work out. But in this life and the next, it is always wiser to be God's friend than to be God's enemy. And so no matter what the outcome is, it is always wiser to be on the side of God than to be on the side of man. Because if God is for you, then who can be against you? because what happens your enemies may conquer you in this life and then they have an eternity in hell to look forward to whereas you may lose your life in this life which most of us eventually will but i mean at the hands of your enemies but then you go to be with god for all eternity in paradise worshiping with his people and him for all eternity and so it's always wiser always wiser to live in accord with god's word so that's the first reward he's wiser than his enemies secondly He says the second reward for wisdom is that he has more understanding than his teachers. Look at verse 99. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. What is he saying here? He's saying, Lord, I actually meditate on the testimonies that my teachers are instructing me in. And I've always done that. I meditate on them. I reflect on them. And as I do that, you have rewarded that wisdom in meditating upon your word, upon your testimonies. And now, this isn't the way it's always supposed to be. It kind of defies reason. I have more understanding than my teachers actually do. I have more understanding in the very things that they are teaching me. And he's not saying it's because he's necessarily smarter. That's not the means. And he's not saying it's because he's better educated. What does he say? It's simply because I'm meditating on your word. That's why. Now this drives us to an important truth. Haven't you heard it said? A student, a pupil will never know more, will never get beyond their teacher. Well, how is this able to happen then? This is able to happen because who's ultimately the teacher? Not the means that God uses, but ultimately God himself. This takes us back to a previous point. God gives wisdom through his word and by his spirit. God is ultimately the teacher. And you have got to know that as a congregation, and I have got to know that as one of the preachers here. Because at the end of the day, if the spirit doesn't take the word and make it effectual in you, then you know what's happening? I'm making noise with my mouth and your eardrum is rattling and that's it. I can't make it change you. No matter how animated, no matter how I fluctuate my voice, no matter how clear my outline, none of that. No matter how accurate I am to the text itself. Why, because who's ultimately the teacher? God. The Holy Spirit is the one who taught David. And so as he meditated on the word, he was able as a reward from God to have more understanding, a better grasp of God's word than even his teachers. And that still happens today, doesn't it? Because what are we getting at here? We're getting at the reality and we're gonna get even closer to this reality in the third and final reward. But God is free in his wisdom to distribute his gifts and his graces in various ways in the body, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, the differences, the different gifts and graces that we have to serve the body magnify the wisdom of God, don't they? Because if we all had my gifts and graces or Chad's or Russell's or any of them, how would that benefit the body? It would just be like layer after layer of the exact same thing. But in the differences and the variety, we're able to be various parts of the body to serve the body well. My body is not just a bunch of ears. That'd be really weird. Or a bunch of mouths or eyes or feet or whatever, right? There's various parts to serve the needs of the body. And God in his wisdom distributes those gifts in such a way to bring glory to himself. Which brings us to the third reward. The third reward is that he has more understanding than those who are older than him. Look at verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now, this is a real shocker. Doesn't this fly in the face of conventional wisdom? I know we don't have much by way of conventional wisdom these days, but it's still around a little bit. But in David's day, for sure, you want to know what the conventional wisdom was? Age plus experience equals wisdom. That was the conventional wisdom of the day, that if you had a lot of the passage of time behind you, and lots of experiences, lots of circumstances that you had lived through, then that would necessitate you being wiser. We should listen to you. We should listen to what you have to say. But here's a question. That's not gonna take a whole lot of reflection. In your experience, is that necessarily true? Don't you know folks that have been on this earth for a long time and seem to become increasingly foolish? Why is that? Because the secret to wisdom is not just age and experience. It's responding to age and experience in wisdom. Because if you respond to age and experience in foolishness, what happens? You don't magically become wise. You predictably become ever increasingly foolish. And so you know people like this in your life. So do I. And so David is pushing against this. Now, don't misunderstand me. He's not saying, well, so those older people that you know in your life who are unwise, they're foolish, you should just discard them and mock them. No, 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 that's not what David's saying here. They are worthy of honor and love as every image bearer of God is, and we should respect them for their age. But that doesn't mean that we have to deny the reality that sometimes younger folks who through the wisdom of God and the distribution of his gifts and graces are wiser than those who are older than them. So here's the question we have to ask then. If age and experience don't equal wisdom, then how do we get wisdom? I love how the book of Job answers this question because right towards the end of the book, in Job 32, don't turn there, you can write it down and look at it later, but in Job 32, after all of Job's friends have spoken wisdom to him, there's a character there that finally comes out and says something, Elihu. And we learn that Elihu, or however you say his name, someone come and correct me later, he's held back this whole time because he knows he's younger. And so listen to what he says in Job 32, after all the aged and experienced have had their say to Job. He says, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let the days speak, and many years teach wisdom. There's the conventional wisdom. Surely, the days that have passed in your life have resulted in wisdom. The years that you've been taught will result in wisdom. But he denies that that that's the case by going on and saying, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty. The breath of the Almighty, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in man, the breath of the spirit of God that makes him understand or be wise. It is not the old who are wise. This is still the word of God and Elihu speaking. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. So do you see, Elihu's saying exactly what we just said. It's not the passage of time. It's not the circumstances that you've lived through. It's God's spirit through his word teaching you wisdom. Don't commit the error of thinking, hey, I've got to go out and live all this, learn all this the hard way through experience. How about you listen to God's word and learn wisdom that way? That is the wiser way. That is the wiser path. And so how do we get wisdom from God, his spirit, through his word? And again, to go back to the point I was making right before this third reward was brought up. God distributes that gift of wisdom differently within his body. And if you're older here this morning, don't think I'm saying you don't have any wisdom. That's not the point. Please don't walk away hearing that. By God's grace, I'm confident that as he's given you wisdom through his word and by his spirit, you have gotten wiser as the years have gone by. The point here is that that's not always true. And sometimes it's true that someone who's younger amongst God's people is given a greater amount of grace in wisdom. And it's so apparent. It's easy to see. And you see, the Lord still does that today. That's why Paul tells Timothy in one of his letters to him, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let them look down on you, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Why? Because even though Timothy was younger in human years, than those whom God had called him to lead and serve, he was still wiser than they were, by God's grace. That's what David's getting at here. He says, Lord, even though it defies conventional wisdom, you've made me wiser, given me greater understanding than my elders. And so that's still true today. The Lord amongst his people raises up young men. I'm not saying every young man. I'm not saying every young man. But he does raise up young men who are to be godly leaders to serve the church. Who are wiser and more qualified than those who are older than they are. And that's nothing that they get to boast about. That's nothing that they get to say, ha, look how wise I am. No, because what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it from God graciously, why do you boast? As if you did not receive it. And so it should be humbling. Why? Because it's all of God's grace. You know full well your own foolishness. (laughs) And so the fact that you have this wisdom is an evidence of God's grace, and so you should be humble about it. But I want to push against something, because in our culture, we have a bad misunderstanding of humility. Because you know what it is? It's a false humility. It's a false humility where you think, well, to be humble, I just have to deny that it exists. So case in point, did you know that one of your elders here at this church is 30 years old? Right, Jordan? You're 30? He's wisely back there holding his baby so that his wife can listen to this sermon. He's 30 years old and God has graciously given him wisdom. And you know what? It would be a false humility for him to say, no, that's not true. No, no, no. Let me tell you all the foolish decisions I make. That would be false humility because if anybody who knows him well knows that by God's grace, he is wise beyond his years and that shouldn't cause envy in anybody, That should cause us to go behold an evidence of the wisdom of God in distributing that to a younger man who has many years ahead of him lots of energy to serve Christ's church for his glory and for our benefit. That should be the response, not envy and not arrogance. Instead, Jordan can say, as any young man who's been given wisdom beyond his years can say, along with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by God's grace, I am what I am by God's grace, not because of anything in me. And so I don't want you to misunderstand what David's doing here. It'd be very easy to read this psalm and go, man, David is arrogant. Huh, what? Smarter than his enemies, wiser, uh, more understanding than his elders and his teachers, consistently walking with the Lord. Boy, sure sound and holier than now. No, that's because of our poor understanding of humility. What is he saying? This psalm is secondarily about David. It's primarily about God and his wisdom. That God is wisdom and gives wisdom and rewards wisdom. And so this is meant to draw our attention not to David, but to God himself who is wisdom and has graciously given it to us. And so where do we end this? We need to end this the way we need to end every sermon. We need to look to Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has become wisdom to us. And so if you're feeling particularly foolish this morning, look to wisdom itself and thank him for living, dying, raising from the dead for your sins, for your redemption, your sanctification, that you might know God more and more. And if you're acknowledging, man, the Lord has given me a lot of wisdom, be humbled by that and look to put it to use for the good of those around you, for Christ's church and for God's glory. And as we look upon the sun and see the many evidences of God's wisdom in the church through his word and by his spirit, I believe our refrain will forever be both now and on into eternity. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways beyond searching out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him. That he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. May we be a church who boasts in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do acknowledge that you are wisdom. You know all things. You have forever known all things. You forever will know all things. For you are the one who was and is and is to come. We're humbled before you. We know our own sinfulness. We repent of it before you. And we're thankful for the gift of wisdom in your son and through your word and by your spirit. Turn our eyes off of ourselves so that we don't give way to arrogance or false humility, just another form of arrogance. But Lord, may we boast in you all the days of our lives, even as David is doing here, just relishing in your word how we love it because we love you and how it reveals to us your wisdom. Do this in our midst. Make us a church, we pray, that boasts in you alone here in Bakersfield and to the ends of the earth, to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.